Shaky Town Radio is on the air. I'm Libby Ward. And I'm Bob Schreiner. And it's just the two of us today in Shaky Town Studio C, the Ward household. And we have with us a very special, fabulous guest who I've been trying to have on the show for ages and ages. And now that he's moments away from leaving the country, we finally decided to Shanghai him and get him on the show. It is my awesome pal, Will Kistler. Hi, everyone. Hello. Will is a fabulous animator, puppeteer, uh, music video creator, chef, mixologist. Tell us about uh, your tiny town in Kentucky and what inspired you to be artistic and awesome. Um, well, most of those come out of a... Uh, um, I like hobbies and I get really into them for a little bit and then they kind of fall off. And then and later I get back into them. Um, the main one, uh, animator, is what I'm lucky enough to do as a job. And that started when I was a kid, actually. You know, like when you're 10, like one day you want to be a fireman, and the next day you want to be, you know, a surgeon, and then you want to be an astronaut. Um, I saw Jurassic Park, and the next day after that I said, I want to be an animator, and then it stopped changing. Oh, I saw Jurassic Park, and I was like, I want to be a dinosaur. (laughs) The one point in my childhood I wanted to be a stop sign, because it felt like the stop sign told everyone what to do. Yeah. I grew up in a very small town. Well, I was, was 10 in a very small town. And it I was, think that was the only traffic sign. And no it was lights. the stop sign. Yeah. Oh, the great one had to obey it. I live uh, way out in the country, so I didn't actually grow up in a town. So from my house, you can't see any of their houses. But the nearest town, we would describe as 500 people in a stop sign. Yes. If you said go to cover on and turn left, people knew what you meant. Right. What was the population of um, town? Inside town limits, probably about 500. Um, in the county, maybe 10,000. So, yeah, not huge. The, I lived in a town in Pennsylvania until I was 10. That I don't know what its population then was, but it's presently in about 300, which tells me probably has been pretty consistent to that. Okay, yeah. About the same. Um, so I'm from Kentucky, and the further, uh, further east you go, until you hit West Virginia, it gets more and more sparse. So I had friends from that area that went to school with like 10 people. That's in all the grades, K through 12. They'd have like 10 kids. And so wow. it wasn't that small, but it was pretty small. So there, it was hard to have a group of bullies because you only had one person for each, like one one jock, one mean girl, one band. You probably had to wear a lot of hats there. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid. Yeah, on like yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, I'm a band geek, and like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm a mean girl. Kind of thing. There's probably even some self-bullying that had to happen. <laughs> I'm sure. I'd actually, I'd really like to see how that works. I could stuff myself inside a locker on Friday. Make fun of your own tough skins. <laughs> um, so Jurassic Park. Um, I never knew that that was your your animation catalyst, and I feel like that came out when I was in junior high-ish. Was that like '94? It might. I want to say '91, but oh, I may wait. be wrong on that. Look at, I have a computer. I can look it up. So it was that, and then Toy Story kind of cemented the deal. And I think in between The Mask with Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. which I love. It's not, not as beloved a classic as the other two, but for me, special place. I really enjoyed it, and still do. Oh, 1993, mm. Jurassic Park came out, so split the difference. You were closer than me. But I'm curious, because that would have made you... Ten. Ten? Yes. So um, I was born in 83. I guess I'm mostly curious, how did you know 
that there were so many animators involved in Jurassic Park because it's not a classically animated movie. I remember there being a lot of hype because it was one of the first movies where computer-generated graphics were really right. used. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to date, for my money, it's still one of the ones where they're best used because they use them where they need them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's models and puppets and things where they're better. And a lot of times today, they just kind of throw money and CG at things. Yes. But it still holds up really well. And uh, I remember just being such a big deal. They were talking about, like, we have these supercomputers. There was, like, half-hour specials on TV. Okay. Right. Of, like, this is how we did this, and here's a wireframe, and then we shade it in, and it looks like a real dinosaur. And I was just fascinated by all of that. Yeah, because you could make dinosaurs at home. Yeah. Uh, or in your office now, in this case. Um, did you have any in your in your tiny Kentucky town? Did you have any kind of outlets to anything that sort of refined um, your skills and work? Kind nourished? of. I had a I had a really good high school experience. Um, and you were joking earlier about like jocks and bullies and nerds and stuff, but actually. People got along pretty well at my high school. I'm sure there was some strife, but it wasn't like a rampant bully scenario. Right. And it was a, a place where you could kind of do what you wanted, and uh, like under the guidance of teachers, obviously. But all the teachers were very supportive as long as you weren't being destructive. And none of the other students were like really jerks if you were trying to do something you know, a little different. And one of the cool things we had was a broadcasting class. And uh, in that class, we had to make a half-hour new show for once a week for what was going on in the school and county. But after that, we could do whatever we wanted and put it on our local public access cable channel. So I was able to have, like at age 15, a public access cable show with my best friend from high school. Awesome. And it was great because we, I mean, we kept it pretty PG or PG-13, but we were still like doing baby comedy, baby fun stuff. Almost animated things would be like pictures that didn't move a lot, but they were different. Sure. So were you doing uh, traditional animation for that show then? You were like hand drawing and, and cutting together the, the snapshots? We did a tiny bit of stop motion. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of animation. I tried to do some like computer graphics, like roll in, like here's our station letters, and they revolve around. Um, but it was a pretty basic system, so it was hard to get those from right. a different computer onto there. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned about editing there, though, and like a lot of transitions being used. A lot of, you know, star wipes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, uh, remember in like 1995 when everyone learned how to make websites? So there's a thousand animated GIFs and like your screen sparkled. And then, you know, in like 2002, everyone who didn't learn that found MySpace. And they're like, look at all the stuff we can do. It was the same thing, except it was obnoxious for everyone that went through before. Yeah. That was my show. It's obnoxious to watch now, but it was fun to do at the time. And we learned a ton of kind of stuff not to do. Sure. I did a fair amount of video editing and stop motion animation in uh, junior high and high school also. I actually, my sixth grade science fair project was an animation, explanation of anim- animation with a zoetrope and uh, all of that fun nonsense cells and stuff like that. Um, what was the name of your show? Uh, the Will and Bruce Show, or the Bruce and Will Show, depending on who got to the editor first. Ah. Um, it was one of our very original running gags. Yeah, probably never seen anything like that in other shows. <laughs> nope, that'll, that'll never happen again. But uh, 
No, we stole most of our jokes, honestly. We were a little <laughs> young to worry about plagiarism. So anything good you saw was stolen. Or uh, none of our, we didn't really write scripts. We just kind of went for it. Stolen, per se. It was an homage. It was lovingly, um, yes, homaged. And, uh, and improv. Yes, uh, all of our skits ended in fighting, because we didn't know any other way to end a segment. Sure. But, you know, it was still fun. Yes, the band equivalent to that would just be smashing your instruments and storming off in a huff. Yes. Yeah. It always works. So I want to I wanna make a quick dinosaur aside before we, we move on chronologically, because Kentucky also is famous for having the Creation <laughs> Museum. Uh, it's embarrassing. Um, yes. But you haven't been, have it you? It doesn't have to be. I haven't been. Um, I'm torn because I really want to go yeah. and see it. I don't want to give them 20 of my dollars. Me too. I In feel fact, like... Well, it seems like you could easily... I mean, and I've used this to so many enterprises, it seems it wouldn't fail there. But if you approach them with some sort of press credentials, mm. well, that's you could probably breeze right through. That's more legal-ish type thinking. My plan was really just to gather a, a band of brigands such as ourselves and break in like, to the Creation yeah. Museum. Or if you wanted to go middle of the road, go and find like look at a uniform supply kind of store, find one of those onesie mm-hmm. uniform mm-hmm. things, and just walk in with a clipboard. Yeah. That might actually work pretty well. Like it will work. Six six janitors, six people in. Uh, yeah, fewer in, people the better, but in, like two people. Not a problem. I feel like it's a much more fun, uh, much more fun comedically. Maybe maybe less easy to get away with, but much more exciting comedically. If there's like six to ten people all wearing <laughs> coveralls and all carrying brooms. Yes. Um, Clipboards are good too, because then if you can leave with something, yeah, it's a little more. Let's uh, let's take a trip in a couple years. You guys may have heard they're building on in the adjacent property a Noah's Ark. Supposedly full-size Noah's Ark oh, and surrounding theme park. Is it, is it going to have a wave pool? This is going to be like a fun watery sort of thing? I don't thing? know, actually. Um, I hope so. I mean, if you want to get kids into Jesus. A wave pool no. a wave pool where it just rains for like maybe, say, 40 hours. <laughs> uh, and the water just exactly. keeps filling and filling and you just keep floating higher and higher. And then at the end of the 40 hours, it drains and then the rains come again. I, uh, I grew up right next to Mammoth Cave. Um, in Kentucky, and so there's a lot of little roadside kind of tourist traps that sprung up around this really nice natural resource that a ton of people come to see. And sort of in the same vein um, as what we were just discussing, there's this place, it's now out of business unfortunately, called Golgotha Fun Park. And for you guys that are not up on your biblical lore, Golgotha is the uh, hill of the skull, uh, the place where Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fun Park! And it's the home of the world's number one biblically-themed uh, shaded mini-golf course. Got adjectives on there till they're number one, which I enjoy. And uh, <laughs> it was great because the first half is the Old Testament, uh, the first nine holes on the mini-golf. And there's wonderful, diverse uh, statues. It's all concrete statuary you're putting around. And uh, so, like, is it Noah's Ark that you, like, putt up the ramp and into the boat, or there's Adam and Eve, and you like putt around the snake. And then you get to the second half, which is the New Testament, which means there's nine pictures of Je- or nine statues of Jesus from the identical mold, all painted different colors. So, well, you know, like... different stories, different stories. Wow. It, 
you know, not bad. And then Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know it's Jesus. not this way, but I want to imagine them all like lifesaver colors. Mm. Like they were pretty garish. Jesus. Mm. He was like deep tan, and there's a lot of it'd be like a white robe with like a some colored accent. So like yeah, a one bright of red, one color screaming, mm. like a nice like cotton candy colors. Sounds like the back nine is a bit of a cop out to me, but uh, I want a lot from Jesus. But I but I am excited a lot about Crucifixion Hill mini golf. After they uh, after they went out of business, um, it was great because he, I would take you know, tell people about where I was from, and this is a great place to take them to be like, no, it's really this is this is what I grew up with, and uh, the statue started disappearing because people realized it was closed and no one was watching the place. Like, two guys could have one of those Jesuses into the back of a uh, pickup truck. Right. Like, so, it's not as fun to take people by anymore, but I've definitely run into a couple of those Jesuses at parties. And then they were literally bearing Christ's cross into Indeed. the back of their pickup truck <laughs> and right to their dorm room. Yep. <laughs> my uh, sophomore year in high school, my friends and I took a dinosaur that was formerly of a, a, a golf and something. Mm-hmm. Golf apostrophe and apostrophe something. Um, and put it on a planter in our high school as a gift from the uh, senior class that was graduating. So it was there for two years, and it was in like lots of like yearbook pictures. And then one day, some the lady whose place it was stolen from had seen it, noticed it, and gave her something. I was like, "That's my dinosaur." <laughs> Pretty so, excellent senior gift. Uh, then so I had to go back. I believe the only one that I golf place that I know of that is golf. Mm, something is golf and stuff and I, I like to think of them trying to determine that by being like golf and mm, go-karts golf and mm, cotton candy golf and mm, dinosaurs golf and wombats and they're like oh, I'll just say stuff and it'll, it'll cover all those things and all the future things we can yeah. think of it's good if you decide you don't like what you're doing in addition to golf yes yeah, these bumper cars aren't working out so let's it's yeah. still golf you want to phase out the laser yeah. tag and make it some exactly. sort of glee sort of um, monstrosity yeah. golf and trumpet lessons all full <laughs> it's still golf stuff. and stuff yeah yeah perfect as long as you keep that golf um, and mammoth cave were there really mammoths, or was it just very, very large? It's a large cave. All right. So, no mammoths. That's a smidgen disappointing. I was getting really hyped up about Kentucky. It's uh, It's a cool place, though. Um, National Park. Yeah. I don't know if I've told you I was a tour guide there for two summers. I don't think you in did. In college. So it was fun. I'd get to walk around a cave all day and show, tell people about it. That seems like a great summer. You yeah. never really know your friends until you have them on your podcast. Um, good. Well, it's one of only about a dozen states that I've never been to, and there are all these amazing things, so um, maybe I will get uh, a tour guided there by you sometime. I would happily show you the parts I like. Fabulous. And there are many. So, um, before I took us off on this fabulous prehistoric tangent, we were talking about uh, you did Jurassic Park, and then you were doing your own fabulous uh, public access show. And, and when did Toy Story come about? Uh, I can look that one up too. But, maybe but, that one was 91? Let's make wagers. I, it seems like, I want to say Toy Story came after Jurassic Park. I think it did. I thought it did too. It just hit like some anniversary, I think. Toy Story. 1995. There you go. So maybe it was like a 15 year anniversary. And so then, 
you were already aware that you could create dinosaurs and uh, do all these fabulous effects for live action, mm -hmm. which is what's happening in Jurassic Park. And how did Toy Story change your direction or your inspiration? Um, that's a good question. Jurassic Park is, like, the effects look great, and the dinosaurs look wonderful and real, and all they think is, eat that guy, or I'm scared. Like, they've just got the animal thought processes going. Um, there's nothing deeper. And then in Toy Story, we saw something really similar. It's this 3D graphics that, like, I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, it's much more stylized. But all of the characters were giving these like fun, believable performances, and you could see them thinking. And you could—they were acting. They weren't just like yeah. eat crunch. Yeah. They the were characters. like trying to fool each other, or they were like believed they were from space, and then realized they weren't. And like there was a really good story told through like character development, which you don't get as much in the visual effects movies. Um, like they're both fun, but that had more of an appeal. And I wouldn't have articulated it that way at age 12, but that's what... <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, certainly that, um, that's come up a lot for me personally and in talking with other animators and animation directors is that even though the voiceover people should not be uh, downplayed in their importance, that the animators are equally important as actors because they're the ones creating the facial expressions and the um, blocking and the movement and all of the, the various things, body language things that go into the performance. I would agree with that. But yeah. I mean, uh, on one hand it's understandable because seeing my name on a movie poster doesn't get anyone out to the theater the way that like um, Ben Stiller in Madagascar might get someone out to the theater. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, they're also getting that kind of celebrity punch with their marketing. But, you know, we do a lot to help that performance. Oh, yeah. And it's their vocal performances are still excellent. It's yeah. just more of a team effort. Yeah. Uh, so what did you do um, after being inspired in these ways and creating your own show, which, uh, to the detriment of every network out there, was not picked up by any of them? Um, what did you do to further your animation artistic goals? Um, I went to college, and I actually chose a technical school. Um, so I didn't get to further the artistic side of things very well, but I learned a lot about, like, this is the button you press if you want this to happen. So I could kind of, after four years I got out of that, and I could basically do the things I was supposed to be able to do if I wanted a job, but none of them at a professional like level of real artists would do. And so after that, I found um, a place called animationmentor.com that had just started. I think I was the second class through. And it was an online school that taught just character animation, which is what I like to do. And uh, so in, in my first school, I'd learned a little bit of you know lighting or modeling, um, rigging, all of this stuff I'd had at least one class in. And so I, I knew supposedly how to do the whole thing, start to finish. And animation was the only one I really liked, so I decided to do some more school there. And uh, I came out of that actually with a good enough demo reel to get an entry-level job. So I was pretty lucky that way, um, both in timing, because they've turned out a ton of really good graduates since then, um, but I was kind of on the start of the wave of them turning out 
these people that just focused on character animation. Were you still living in Kentucky uh, during your online education? Um, for the first half, I was living with my parents. And then for the second half, I got bored and moved to Japan. Because one of my buddies um, uh, is, has one Japanese and one American parent. And he was going back to uh, kind of reconnect with his roots. He'd lived there until he was about 12. And so he said, uh, hey, I'm going to Japan. You want to go? It turns out later he was just kind of, it was an offhanded comment. He didn't expect me to say yes. But I said, sure. Because I was, you know, living in the middle of... And that'll certainly alleviate boredom. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just wasn't doing very much around the old farm. And it's, you know, I didn't have a job that I didn't want to leave. I think I was substitute teaching at the time, which I didn't care for very much. Um, Can you substitute teach there without a bachelor's or a, or you had, had a bachelor's, bachelor's from the technical school? Yeah. You just hadn't, so you finished your degree there, you just hadn't. So uh, yeah. I guess when I say technical school, I mean like a school of technology at a four-year university. So right. it wasn't just like an associate's. Gotcha. So, so which, which university was that? Uh, Purdue. Okay. That's right. And so, um, but you need that to be a substitute teacher, and also get a visa to work in Japan teaching English, which is what I did. Perfect. And so, yeah, it worked out great. Um, my animation studies definitely suffered because, you know, in my free time, it's like, hey, I can go see this temple I'll never get to see again in Japan, or I can stay home and animate. So I tried to split the difference, but I got it, uh, sorry, excuse me. That's all right. Um, it's just why. I, I came out okay. Probably not as well as I would have done scholastically if I had, uh, you know, not gone to Japan. But I was still pretty happy with the decision. Yeah, and it's hard to say that you would have regretted <coughs> doing it any other way. Yeah, no, I'm... You know, like, I regret going to Japan and not just immersing myself in my studies. Yeah. And then, of course, when Japan was over, I got... I moved right back in with my parents. And I had two or three months where I just, you know, sat down and did what I wasn't able to do there at school and you know really focused and then got hired so so I want to mine a few more details um, so you finished Purdue and then you were substitute teaching what subject um so most of the time it was like sort of day by day mm -hmm. um, so whoever was sick that yeah, day yeah the sixth grade teacher was sick jury duty yeah so you were just automatically uh, having a bachelor's degree of some sort, um, qualified to teach whatever came up. Kind of. Um, it was the same uh, school system I went through, and both my parents are teachers there. Mm -hmm. So I've known all of the administrators since I was maybe like five. Mm. Um, they probably know me longer. I did. That's how I remember. And so I did okay in high school. I did pretty well. And so. I wasn't like a problem student that was coming back saying, hey, give me a job. I was a guy that we all got along well when I was there the first time. And so they were happy enough to have me and they needed teachers. Um, most you're, of the you're time... You showing up with your bag of weed and your porno DVD. And... Exactly. I kept all that stuff at home, put on my tie and showed up to work like a respectable <laughs> person. Um, it, uh, um, so for the most of the time, I did like whatever they needed uh, pinch hitting for that day. But my first job there was six weeks of teaching ninth and 10th graders math, algebra. And the algebra was easy, but getting ninth and 10th graders to sit still for it, not easy. Sure. And so um, that soured me on it pretty quickly. 
And it was a little bit of a weird environment since both of my parents were teachers. A lot of people kind of assumed that I wanted to be a teacher also. Mm. And they thought, you know, I'm back in the home, home state, um, doing what I must love to do. Really it must serve. be just live in the dream. And I was just punching the clock. Um, you know, I wasn't trying to not teach the kids, but I was not passionate about it in the way. Well, you're not their teacher, either. exactly. So it's, you know, you know, you know, you're, you know, from the day, from the time you get the call, you know the length of your duration. So it's, yeah. you don't, you don't also have the time. What you really need at that with kids of that age is the time to establish rapport and exactly. have them like you and respect you. And yeah. that's of course a challenge given their, you know, hormones and yeah. sugar intake and just. Uh, gives a shit about algebra. It was crazy because I was only four years away from high school at that point. I had just graduated college. And all of this, like, I, there was just such a big difference between what I remembered it being like. And, like, they just looked like kids. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that were, like, planning trouble, you could kind of see it a mile away. I could see how we didn't get away with that much because we weren't as smart as we thought we were. Broadcasting. Our teachers were extremely smart. And so that's how they shut us down all the time. Right. Yeah, they saw it coming. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I did some sub subbing for a for a while in Arizona, where I used to live, with uh, adjudicated seventh and eighth graders. Okay. So it was you know these kids were already specially selected for being terrible and incorrigible <laughs> and not wanting to learn, and various undiagnosed learning disorders, which was charming. <laughs> but it was actually better than I than I thought it would ever be. The first day that I walked in, there was a woman. And who was also subbing, and she was split between two classes because someone, some teacher that I was filling in for's home was broken into, so she had to basically go like between classes. Mm -hmm. So of course, all these kids just went crazy, totally took advantage. And when I walked in, she was just screaming at them. No one was in their seat. Shit was flying everywhere. It was like something out of a TV show or like a commercial, like kids, kids on crack. So, I immediately just went in. I just kind of spelled the lady, like, you can go. <laughs> Identified the alpha and put my hand on his shoulder. I was like, what's your name? He's like, David. He's like, David, you're going to do me a favor. You're going to take your seat right now. And he sat down and everyone sat down. And I was just like, I couldn't give up the poker face. But I was like, fuck, that worked. worked. Wow. I'm just going to keep doing this. But... Um. Surprisingly, I found that like if you're just respectful to those kids, because that's something that's really sort of foreign to them. Yeah. That they are really like willing to kind of let you have your time and say. I had good luck. Um, but my problem wasn't that the kids wanted to be bad. It was that they were hyper and just like a lot of them really couldn't control themselves very well. Poor impulse control. But none of them were like maliciously trying to cause me a problem. And so it's easy not to get mad at them for that. Like, they're just right. not adults yet. Yeah. And so, it was tricky keeping control and sometimes you get a little mean, but like, not that terrible. Yeah, I think it's harder for people that are, for older people, because it's like, it's like, why are you not 40? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm 12. <laughs> exactly. I think teachers are a rare and amazing breed of humans. I do not have that kind of patience. I did a fair amount of one-on-one -on -one tutoring and that was okay, mm -hmm. but when they start multiplying and they all are thinking different crazy things, then uh, I'd rather just run away. Yeah. When there's 30 of them and they don't want to be there, that's hard. 
Um, like when I was a tour guide, it was great because there'd be more of them. There'd be like a hundred. But everyone was interested in what you had to say. They all sure. came to see you. Mm-hmm. Or when I was teaching in Japan, I would teach either groups of four or one-on-one. But they paid for that lesson. So right. they're not like waiting until they can drop out because of truancy laws. They're, they want to learn <laughs> that English. And so... And what are the uh, what are the subjects your parents teach? Um, oh, my dad's retired now, but he taught chemistry for a long time, and then he taught uh, gifted and talented um, students in mm-hmm. different areas. After that, which he loved. So, well, because they they were probably more enthusiastic about being there. Yeah, it's. I think I want to say it was more of the younger grades that he mm-hmm. worked with, and so it's like. The hormones haven't kicked in yet. It's super smart kids. They're totally enthusiastic about what's going on. It's just like a joy. And there's something about being smart that young. It's sort Mm -hmm. of like you feel like as you're approaching like 9 or 10 that you can sort of, you're closing in rapidly on being able to like steal the world. Yeah. It's like soon I'll know everything and I know I'm still a ways off from puberty. But I really liked when I would sub like 6th grade. Because it was right before it was cool not to be smart. Like, right. yeah. if they knew the answer, they would put that hand right up and tell you. And that was great because they're excited. And then, like, two years later, it's just like, who knows this? And you know they all know it. No hands go up. It's just not, it's not as fun. Was it, like, one school, K through 12? Or were they um, so still it was split up? One, it was K through 7 mm-hmm. at five little schools around our county, and they all fed into one high school. Ah. I say my class graduated, I think, 138 uh, people. So not huge, but not tiny either. Not the smallest of the small. And what did your mom teach? Uh, Elementary. And still the second and third grade, I believe. So then um, when you decided to bail on the U.S. and Kentucky specifically and go to Japan, what city did you go to? Um, I lived right between uh, Tokyo and Yokohama. And taught English and what other, um, and went to animationmentor.com mm-hmm. online, and that was about a year program? A uh, year and a half. Year and a half. And what other amazing things did you do in Japan? Um, oh man, it was such a good time. <coughs> um, my job was only 35 hours a week, so plenty of time afterwards to do things. Um, me and my buddy uh, Zensho, that I was living with, um, started our own podcast there. It was like a video podcast. Um, this is still early days, so you can find these like 320 by 240 videos online still of us going around Japan kind of looking at things and having a good time. Um, was it just a, a sightseeing podcast then or just a... Kind of. We'd go to like art exhibits. Uh-huh. Um, we told the Tokyo Anime Festival that we were press yes. and they believed us. Well done. I believe the uh, language barrier worked in our favor mm-hmm. in that yeah. uh, particular case. I did the talking for that one. Um, Zensho can actually speak very fluent uh, Japanese. He's the one that grew up there until he was 12. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, sometimes it was better if I did the talking. So that's beneficial to not be able to answer a question. Exactly. Yeah. And so they let us in, which was great. Um, we went on a day, it was my day off, so we went on a day where it was press only to see what we could see anyway. Like, oh, no, we're press, and we pulled out the cheapest handy cam you can buy at Best Buy and, like, the crappiest little, like, candy camera mm-hmm. point-and-shoot. And, like, okay, whatever. Just go. Just, if you're going to take a picture, ask politely first. 
sure, we can do that. So it was great. We had a good time. Yeah, well done. Um, we went to a penis festival. That was uh, about like it sounds, really. Um, <laughs> I just want to clarify that this is, this is penis, like the male organ, not pianist, like people who were excellent piano players. No, penis like dong. All right. Um, I didn't know they, well, I mean, I guess there's festivals for that all over, but usually they're not called such a... Yeah, sometimes they're called free jazz festivals. <laughs> metal fest. It was a, uh, I guess it was based on an old legend of a uh, young wife that got taken over by a demon. And so every time she would marry someone, she'd bite their cocks off. Oh. And then, can I say cocks on this? Sure. So, okay. Um, we don't have any NEA funding to worry about. Nope. And then... Uh, um, the third guy she married was a blacksmith, so he made himself a metal protector that went over over his penis, and the demon broke its teeth and left, and then he was left with the young, lovely young bride. And oh, so, that's good thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stop at a Home Depot on the way back. I'm very nervous about my teeth. Mm-hmm. I just keep breaking my front tooth over and over again. That's why mm-hmm. I've never never attempted to bite anyone. Mm-hmm. It just it's ha- probably for the best. It just... Yeah. It just hasn't come up. I mean, it's come up, but it hasn't come up. Uh, that sounds fabulous. Usually, I think of uh, penis festivals as Easter. Easter sort of a penis festival, mm-hmm. right? This was like the, the cross. It was kind of like an Easter. Like well, because the, Ca- the Catholics adopted it from like the spring fertility festival. Right. They were like, by the way, while you're all running around naked, um, Jesus is risen! Yeah, there were elements of that here. You could pray for fertility or good sexual health at the shrine they had there. It was like a mix between a really solemn ancient ceremony and a bachelorette party. Because there'd be like, you know, drumming and a big temple where you'd ring the bell and say your prayer and drop your coins in. Mm -hmm. And then there'd be like 30 people walk by with like penis-shaped popsicles. Like guys with penis shaped hats on. It was great. It was so much fun. That sounds pretty fabulous. And so that wasn't that wasn't indicative of every day in Japan, but we did kind of seek out, you know, fun things to see. Yeah, well particularly if you were going to be uh, recording them for it made for good uh, for media and or posterity. Yeah. Outstanding. So you were in Japan for the whole year and a half that you were doing animation mentor? Uh I was there for a year, and it was the end of my animation mentor. So I finished animation mentor in December, and then came back in, I think, March or February, early the next year. Okay. Now, did you say that any of your former amazing footage, either from the, was it Bruce and Will? Yes. Or from your podcast in Japan or your, your internet broadcast, is any of that footage still available to the internet viewing public? Uh, Bruce and Will isn't. Um, I've got it on DVDs somewhere, but it's a lot of just flagrant copyright violation, mm-hmm. which I know is all over YouTube anyway, but I'm, I'm keeping that one close to the vest for now. Maybe if I become rich and famous one day, I'll sell it as like a soulless money grab. Like the early years, watch when he wasn't good. Um, I think you should. The Japanese stuff is all still up, I believe. It's japanictv.com. J-A-P-A-N-I-C? Yep. TV.com. I think we're going to have to check that out. We will link it from Shaky Town Radio. So you moved back to your parents' house in Kentucky mm-hmm. and finished shining up your reel. Yep. Which was enough to get you an entry-level job. At Rhythm and Hue Studios. 
Um, I got hired to work on the first Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. And so it was, uh, um, and the Alvin and the Chipmunks don't hold a lot of cachet with people our age, but super fun to work on. And I was very excited. So, um, yeah, it was great. Uh, they did this thing where they kind of bring you out for a month. And it's just, to, they have their own proprietary software. So um, there's this month of you kind of learning it and making sure you can work with in the system and also making sure you're not a crazy person. And then at their option, they can bring you onto the movie. So I was lucky enough to first get the month tryout and then second be brought onto the movie. That's great. And so. I didn't know you worked on the first one. I thought you just worked on Shipwrecked. Oh, I worked on all three. Shipwrecked and uh, uh, the Squeakle. Sorry, the pun escaped me for a moment. Oh yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know what the appropriate second video pun was. The squeakle. That's um. That's not your pun. So. No, it's uh, it it's, needs no excuse. It's on its name. Yes, exactly. That's what it's called. It's funny I have like weird affinity for Alvin the Chipmunks because it was one of those cartoons that was never predictable. Mm-hmm. Like you always knew when to find like Scooby Doo or yeah whatever, but that was one of those things. Like if it was on, it was like you should pay attention because it wasn't a regular sort of thing. Like yeah. Charlie Brown. Hmm. I uh, I never really watched anything in order. Almost all of my television consumption came from either later DVD viewing or internet right. viewing or similar. So I never watched any seasons in order. Anyhow. Right. But, uh, yeah. And we didn't watch a ton of TV growing up, so I missed pretty much all of the 80s Alvin and the Chipmunks. I was aware of who they were, but I hadn't, I don't think I've ever seen a whole episode. Um, same with a lot of cartoons. Living out in the country, we didn't have cable, so it's mm-hmm. two channels, ABC and Fox. So like Looney Tunes I got, because that's on ABC's Saturday morning lineup. But if it was anything out of that area, then I just didn't see it. So all three, Alvin and the Chipmunks, you worked on them in order at Rhythm and Hughes. Mm-hmm. Did you take any other side gigs or any other something in between that? Yeah, I, I worked at Rhythm and Hughes on and off for almost six years. Mm-hmm. Um, like when they would get light, they'd let people go, and when they'd need more people, they'd bring them back. And it's that way for a lot of different companies, um, for my job at least. And so I worked on Incredible Hulk, the Ed Norton one. Uh, at Rhythm and Hughes. I went to Sony for a little bit and worked on um, G-Force, the guinea pig spy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on one called Aliens in the Attic that no one remembers existed. That was in... Oh, I'm trying to remember. It was either Aliens in the Attic or it was They Came From Upstairs. One of those was the original f- title, and one of them was the actual title that it came out of. I feel like they came from upstairs, rings a bell for me, but uh, is it a feature? Yes. It's about aliens that take over a family's uh, like vacation home, and the kids know about them and the parents don't, so it's up to the kids to fight them off. Is it fun? Is it worth remembering? Um, It wasn't bad. Okay. It's very much in the same vein of the other movies I've been mentioning. Um, probably more fun for kids. Um, fun to work on for sure but yeah do you find that watching the things you worked on is more or less enjoyable given your labor um i would say more enjoyable because 
most of these movies I work on for several months. And also I know all of the other animators working and we'll be in dailies and things and we'll see like, mm -hmm. oh, there's, you know, Alberto's shot. And it's fun as you're going through the movie, not just to see it as a whole package, but to be like, oh man, Alberto's shot came out great. Oh, hey, there's Lindsay's shot. That came out great. Oh, hey, there's Ryan's shot. It's looking good. And just to see everyone's work all together um, and kind of be able to put a, names to those shots is really fun. Which would make it uh, worse of a movie, but kind of more fun as a uh, exercise in hilarity if one of those people was just terrible. So it was, uh, especially because you work often in 3D. So if there were just like eight 3D shots in a row that were amazing and then one cruddy uh, stick dinosaur drawing mm -hmm. uh, because he was the nephew of the company owner or something. Yeah. Oh man, Sammy. There's Sammy's again. <laughs> oh, Sammy. Here, here it comes. I don't know any animators named Sammy. Sammy to be. So that's good. That's safe. Yeah. 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 So that's a name I threw out there. Not calling anyone out. Yeah. Um, six, six seconds of, of stick critters. Oh, there's a critter. Leo. Cat time. Yeah. Kit, the kittens are forlorn. Um, so as a 3D animator, and you've always worked professionally in 3D specifically, right? Yes. Have you done any any 2D? I know you've done some 2D with me, which yeah. is fabulous. Funny you should ask. I've done a little bit of 2D. Um, it turns out that the principles of animation are the same no matter what. Like the same amount of you know life that you put into a CG character is the same you put into your drawings or like a model if you're doing stop motion. But if you're not good at drawing, like I'm not good at drawing, and you don't practice it, your 2D kind of suffers. Even if you know how it's supposed to work, doing it is a little trickier. Mm -hmm. So you and I collaborated on something, and that's probably the best 2D thing I've done. Um, it's, it's quite fabulous, I think. I think it turned out really well, despite the fact that I... Um, May have been a bit of a taskmaster as the creator. I try to, I try to be flexible in that, uh, you know, the idea of the joke doesn't necessarily have to, to work out to the exact action sequence that I had in mind. And I think we're good uh, cooperator, what's the word I'm looking for, compromisers. Yeah, I certainly didn't see you as a taskmaster okay, at all. Um, compared to, like, the people that pay me to do animation... Since they're paying me, they're not shy about telling me to redo stuff or change it or, you know, I'm working on their project. Right. So it should be demanding. Yeah. And so and just working on something with you, we kind of, we both got to put in input. Yeah. I, I didn't want to, like, disrespect your ideas, but I, I also felt I got to put a lot of me into it, which was very fun. Excellent. Yeah. I always enjoy collaborating with you because uh, I feel like we're both, we're both very creative, but we're also both very mellow. So I think we do a good job uh, really building something together as opposed to one of us building something and the other one obeying yes. strict orders. So um, we've mentioned it before on Shaky Town, but um, please go watch Slow Day in Comedy, which is the collaboration, animation collaboration between Will and I. I gave him pretty much free reign, as I recall, as far as character design and mm -hmm. the look of the thing. I did have some action description that was important to me, but overall, the the majority of the look of the film is is all from Will's brilliant head. Um, it's a noir. It's fabulous black and white. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, vaguely animated. It's pretty uh, pretty stylized. Doesn't move a ton, but it does move some, so I'll still call it animation. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm excited with how it looks. And uh, music by Ben Bromfield, voice performances by myself and Kevin Noonchester. And then Will and I had a great time hanging out uh, looking for fun sound effects together. And then Will mixed those as well, which um, I thought turned out great. So um, going back to the 3D animation, because um, now that I have you on the air, you can finally describe to me exactly which part of the animation is your job because I know a little better for 2D that you know some people are the character designers and some people do background and some people do the color some people are specifically background painters and some people most of them now are in India or Korea are the in-betweeners mm -hmm. but for 3D I'm not as well versed so can you explain to me what which which part of the the machine is your cog okay yes so someone else makes a 3D model that you can look at from any angle. Like um, a physical one that you can, like a maquette that you can touch and hold? or Inside the computer. Okay. So they make a static 3D model of a character, mm -hmm. like based on a character designer's work. Right. So someone else will take that model, that geometry, and um, it's called rigging it. They add controls so you can move it around. Mm -hmm. So instead of just being a still character, you can bend its fingers, or you can move its arms, or torso, or make it smile. Mm -hmm. And so they, the modeler models, the rigger makes the controls, and then I come along in the process, and I move it. So I'm the one that comes up with the um, performance that the animal, or the creature, or the person, whatever is being animated, I get to make the acting choices and move it around. Yeah. And in, in 2D, you get someone that draws keyframes, mm -hmm. and then, as you mentioned, in-betweeners. Mm -hmm. um, so someone draws the main poses, and then someone else fills in in between those. Uh, we do all of it in 3D, just because it's not... Um, it doesn't save you time to farm out part of it to someone else. Mm -hmm. One person can do a whole shot by themselves fast enough. And so... After me, the character will be moving. Um, someone else will do simulations for things like fat jiggles or hair. Like if on an album in the Chipmunks, he's got fur, and then he's got like longer hair on his tail, so that swishes around. Someone else will um, paint textures that are put on the outside of that um, character. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess they sort of paint it flat, but then it gets wrapped around in the way that a map. Uh, you see it would be wrapped around the globe yeah. to make one of those. Um, and then someone else lights it, sets up uh, you know, lights for the computer to um, calculate what it would look like. And that's usually, and my movies are usually based on live action movies where we're inserting characters. Mm -hmm. So the lighter you know, tries to match what's going on in the actual scene. And then there's a compositor that puts it all together that makes it look like it's all in one shot. So I'm kind of early on in that process, but it's nice because there's a bunch of people that come along after me and make it look better than when I see it. Um, yeah. So but, hopefully that uh, makes sense. It, yeah. It makes sense it to me. Mean. I think, uh, yeah, I think most people that uh, have a little bit of knowledge of the process, it'll make perfect sense, and those who don't, maybe it'll inspire them to learn some more. Mm -hmm. I'm like the uh, puppeteer. Yeah. So someone else builds the puppet. I do the puppeting, I move it around, and then someone else does other stuff to make it look good. Yeah, I hadn't realized um, 
previously that you were actually in the uh, the performer position in this vast vast world of 3D animation uh, because I like things that I can touch and hold and physically move and draw and play with um, I I don't um, don't use the computer quite as often artistically so that's um, that's a super fun position to be in to be the guy that gets to create the performance um, it's it's nice for me because I'm a bit shy about performing live. Mm -hmm. And so here there's this sort of one level of removal where you can create a performance. And if you do it right, it feels spontaneous, like the character is just thinking of it then and doing it. But you get a lot of time to really craft it exactly how you want. It doesn't go out until you're happy with it. Yeah. So it's good for the shy control freak. And you have, a, you have an audience of people that will see this and know it's your work. It's so true. there is that sort of deferred performance uh, yeah. gratification, and it's fun to uh, yeah, it's fun to like watch movies I've worked on with an audience and hear them react. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of my favorite things personally is the reaction of audiences. But moreover, I really love to hear actors, fabulous actors, read my words in a way that I didn't expect, mm -hmm. uh, and almost always, probably 99% of the time, in a way that I think is more exciting and turns a line that I thought was exposition or a setup to someone else's joke into a hilarious commentary in and of itself because of their, their character voice. Um, the smoothest running project I ever worked on was Alvin and the Chipmunks 3, and it was because the director didn't care if we had an idea that wasn't his. So it's not that he didn't care about the movie, he wanted to make a good one. But if we came back with something that wasn't his exact idea, it wasn't in the script, but it was good, he'd be like, huh, that's funny. Go for it. Final. That's great. And so we got to put a lot of ourselves into that movie, and it was really good. Like, morale was so high, and we were working long hours and things, but everyone was just excited to be there because he wasn't changing things just to change them. He was letting us do our jobs, which is really great. Yeah, I feel like that's the, the best sort of director, and that creates the best sort of uh, collaborative creation in all. Yeah. Um, it's for and everybody to be able to. They're paying this staff of highly skilled people, and he let them do their jobs in all the departments, which was great. So, now, Since this was a fabulous director we're talking about, and not a terrible one, um, I don't know who it is. Should we? Uh, Mike Mitchell is the guy. I think he did Shrek Goes Forth also. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what else he's done. But he was a joy to work with there. I won't name any terrible directors, but <laughs> no, he, well. was, he was the <laughs> best, smoothest, like most fun, um, like day-to-day -day work project that I've had. So I don't mind mentioning him in that context. It's amazing what a difference that makes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially I an mean, hour 15 of your day. Yeah. If you could find a way to still make that like exhilarating and charged and new. And you want to tell us about uh, your, I think it's your latest project that you just finished and that your team won an Academy Award for. Um, tell us what it is. So yeah, I worked on Life of Pi. So I was an animator on that. Um, You're on the Tiger team, right? I was. We did a couple different things. My team did... So we get broken up into teams within our company, but the whole company is working on it. Um, my team did work on the very beginning. There's a montage in the zoo. Some of the animals had to be animated for that. 
Um, and then there's a sequence later where the um, the kid is Pi is training the tiger inside the boat, so he's like tapping with a stick and tossing pieces of fish. And so it's uh, it was really fun because you we got to animate a very real tiger um, on a movie that got a lot of acclaim for its effects specifically. So that was also a really good experience. And one of your specific clips was also, uh, if I remember correctly, used as the example example clip for the Academy Awards, wasn't it? I want to say yes. Um, I was a team uh, lead, so me and a supervisor worked with our team. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so a whole bunch of clips from our team were shown in these uh, things, and one or two of mine, or ones that I helped with, were in there as well. Yeah. So, and you didn't get to go to the award ceremony, and you no, didn't get a statuette. I'm too low on the totem pole for that. But did, this they, is a, did they at least bring you cake and streamers or something? Um, they brought the statue into work, so everyone got a picture with it. That was mm-hmm. fun. Um, unfortunately, Rhythm and Hughes had some uh, financial troubles this year and went bankrupt right before the Academy Awards. And so a bunch of people... A very weird time because a bunch of people got laid off, myself included. Um, and it wasn't that big a deal for me. Um, I generally get hired on per movie, and so I was expecting to leave in two weeks, and instead they let me go two weeks early. So, not the end of the world, but um, I know some people were impacted a lot more heavily when they were you know, staff guys with mortgages and kids. Right. And I know they got bought by someone, and some of the people are starting to come back now. So hopefully they can keep going, but it was a... So do you feel like that issue with Rhythm and Hughes and the issue with the effects industry and the animation industry is is getting the resolution it requires? Um, I'm not sure. I don't pay as much attention to it as I should. Mm -hmm. Um, This incident definitely got a lot more people talking about it. Um, It's a... it's tough to say, because especially right now in L.A., there's not a ton of work. Um, things are kind of dry. And that's kind of cyclical. Sometimes it happens. Right. And, yeah. you know, you just don't work for a little while and enjoy the time off. But uh, a lot of work seems like it's going other places as well. So well, I think we may all end up in Vancouver. We'll see. Uh, I think a, a lot of there. that is true of most of the industry jobs, that they're cyclical, but sometimes there's a ton of work, mm-hmm. sometimes there's not much, and that... For the majority of us, probably uh, finding work for ourselves is our our greatest priority. In, until you're at a level to be like, oh, I have loads of money. I'll uh, I'll fight the the fights for the whole industry. Yeah, I certainly don't have loads of money to fight fights for the whole industry. And uh, yeah, you're right. Finding work is my the thing I do the most that I like the least. Yeah. It's just I, all I want to do is sit down and do my work. And having to constantly scramble to find more work is not the best. uh, Something that we talk about a lot on the podcast about uh, making a living as an artist and trying to, um, you know, marry the goal of putting enough of yourself into your projects. As you mentioned, you were able to do pretty successfully with Chipwrecked Mm -hmm. uh, and... And the idea of like having to give up some of that so that you can still pay all your bills. 
Um, I don't I don't have a specific question in that direction, but I, I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are about whether you feel like you're you're making that marriage or you still are leaning farther one way or the other than you'd like. I feel like it's getting better the more I do it. Um, one thing they really beat into our heads at Animation Mentor was when you are a working artist, you're working for someone else. Mm-hmm. And when they tell you, like, you need to change this, just do it because they're paying you for your time. <coughs> and so going in with that attitude, um, I remember the first couple times an animation director told me to change something. I didn't want to. It's like, I think it looks fine. Turns out I changed it and it looked way better. And after that happens two or three times, you start to realize, oh, this guy that's worked in the industry for 20 years might know more than me. Right. And if I listen to him, um, a lot of times it turns, it feels like we're making something better together instead of, it, the point where it gets frustrating is when you just feel like you're someone else's pair of hands and you're not getting any thought in there at all. But if someone can add suggestions to what you're already doing, that's a really good place to be. So I certainly don't mind that I work for someone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, as I get a little more experience and kind of my instincts are developing more, I feel like it's easier to kind of get my ideas in there. And I mean, rightfully so. When I first started, I didn't know anything and they needed to steer me a lot more. Yeah. And that's how I learned. So. Um, so you feel like while you're working for someone else that you, your instincts are improving but you don't feel uh, put down necessarily in any way by, by taking the direction of directors because... Yeah. Um, it's really an environment with a lot of criticism mm-hmm. but none of it is mean-spirited. It's constru- all constructive criticism. And so people say, oh, we need you to change this and this and this. It's in a matter-of-fact way and it's your job right. so you do it. But no one's like, you're stupid. Why did you do it this stupid way? Sure. Fix it stupid. Like, that's, that never happens. And I've heard in some instances you get, like, uh, directors who will be angry for no reason, but that's just because they're popular and have big egos and stuff like that. I've been very lucky in that I've never had to deal with that kind of thing. And actually, most of the places I've worked, they kind of keep the artists a little bit separate from the really right. um, big wigs. Which you know, is sometimes nice. it's challenging to manage people doing something that you don't do. Yes. So all you really can speak about is, this isn't what I want. Yeah. So it's hard to really, you know, you can sometimes be softer with that. but Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely been times where you do things a bunch of different ways so someone can see like, oh, that is what I want. Um, and that can get frustrating, but I've never had someone just, like, angry all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Now, um, that brings me to, I want to talk about uh, many of your fabulous hobbies. And that, that was not a segue that Brody would have been proud of. But, uh, <laughs> but at any rate, when, um, when you're doing stuff for yourself or we're doing stuff together... Mm-hmm. Um, whoever is in charge has complete creative control. It's true. That's the fun part of my hobbies. So some of the, some of these include uh, a fabulous music video that you made. Mm-hmm. Is it called Devil Chicken? Uh, yes. That's what I call it. I think yeah. If you search on YouTube for Devil Chicken, it's on there. And we'll link it as well. But uh, Devil Chicken was. Um, so it was maybe a year ago when. 
uh, Chick-fil-A were being jerks um, about uh, gay rights issues, and I think it was their CEO was donating a lot of money, like openly, to anti-gay rights groups. Um, I found a recipe on SeriousEats.com of kind of how to make it yourself at home, and or his best approximation. And so I made a, I wanted to make a video about it, and I figured the best way, instead of, I guess Jesus chicken is the slang for Chick-fil-A. Um, back home, people would say, like, oh, I'm going to go get some Jesus chicken. Because they're, they're known to be openly a very Christian company. They're closed on Sundays. And so, exactly. And uh, so I was going to do the opposite. The at-home version was going to be devil chicken. And I figured the best medium for this message was the devil's preferred um, way of reaching out to the youth, which is metal music. So I decided to do a metal song, or as close as I could get, because I'm not... I like to play music. I'm not good at my instruments, but I'm good enough to like bang through chords and kind of kind of hack something together. So I did my best metal version of this song called Double Chicken, which is just the instructions about how to make this sandwich. Um, but uh, speaking of hobbies, I was doing uh, puppet school at the time. Um, and so I had a bunch of my puppet friends come over and perform this as a band. Mm -hmm. um, this band of monsters sings double chicken, and in the background, you can see my hands preparing the sandwich. So. Yeah, there's a, a little bit of 2D animation in that one. Uh, yes, just a little bit. I, when the deep fryer is going, and uh, during the guitar solo, there's some, um, there's some like pentagrams and stuff going around the deep fryer. Yeah, some important so. uh, satanic images mm -hmm. to go with your chicken. A lot of like upside down uh, crosses and gay rainbows. Now, I saw your excellent Puppet School graduation performance, and Puppet School, um, both of us are Muppet enthusiasts, mm -hmm. but it was also a little bit of a, a jump from being a 3D digital inside the computer puppeteer to being the tactile puppeteer and getting to perform live despite your shyness for performing live. Yeah, and I think kind of in the same way that animation is a step removed away, um, puppeting is just enough removal where I lose some self-consciousness and I can just kind of try and focus on getting the puppet to look right instead of worrying about what I'm doing mm -hmm. as much. And so, yeah, it was really fun. It was, uh, it was puppetschool.com. I just Googled, like, where can I learn to do puppets? And it's taught by... Um, Michael Earl is the main um, teacher there. And he, for years, he was the front half of Snuffleupagus, among many other things. He got in with the Henson crowd pretty early in his career. And so he's, he's done a lot, and he's also amazingly good at it. And so um, it was really fun taking classes with him. And yeah, you got to see my our final performance. Yeah, and you have your own monster. I do. Whose name is the Gimp. The Gimp, because I keep him in the box mm -hmm. when he's sleeping. Um, he might get another name at some point, but that's the best one I've come up with so far. So um, you can go watch Devil Chicken. You can maybe see your puppet school performance somewhere. I, I don't think I have anything up from that. Okay. I don't think I have one, uh, one thing on my YouTube of me doing a puppet version of a uh, space oddity. Okay. Because I love David Bowie as well. <laughs> and you also, as soon as I wrangle this cat, you also exist online uh, for your own podcast. Secondhand Storytime. I do. So that's secondhandstorytime.com. 
And the idea with that one is um, once a week, if I'm doing it regularly, which currently I'm not, mm -hmm. but I'd like to get back into it. Once a week, I have someone come on and they tell me a story that they heard from someone else. So no first-hand accounts are allowed. They can hear it from a bunch of different people away, but they can't. I don't want anyone that saw what happened. I want us both to be able to kind of speculate and kick around, and I, I don't got to do any fact checking. It's pretty good that way, um, and it's really fun. It's a fun way to do it. I've unfortunately at this point bugged most of my friends to the limit of how many stories they have mm -hmm. just floating around. So if anyone listening would like to contribute, um, secondhandstorytime.com, you can just drop me a line right there, and I will happily have you on. Um, my initial thought was that I would just get super popular and uh, then I would be inundated with... Uh, you would have to hire someone to choose the best ones. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, I need to hire someone to find more of anyone's, except I don't want to hire anyone, it's just me. Which is why there haven't been a ton of releases lately, but um, not too long ago I put up a section of, I forget what it's called, it's on the site, it's like start here where if you like stories that are kind of gross, listen to these three, they're my favorites. Or if you like stories that are funny but clean, listen to these three. So if you want to get started in listening, there's a page just for you. That's awesome. Uh, I stole that idea from Jonathan Colton. So credit where to do. It's a good idea. I don't think he'll mind. No, no, yeah. good ideas should be shared. Exactly. If not. I think there are loads of great stories on your uh, Secondhand Storytime podcast. Um, uh, You've contributed yes. twice now? Yeah. Three times? Uh, twice, for sure. Okay. Uh, I Am Norwal is the one that leaps to mind immediately. Oh, and Another Poor Dog Yes. are my two stories. So once in a while I get... Um, so a lot of urban legend kind of stories show up at this on the show. And twice I've had different stories from two different people. But it's the same story, just with very minor changes. Right, with the details because they were secondhand, so the yeah. details are changed. But it's funny because in both cases, um, it's like, oh, my cousin told me she knows someone, so it's not that far away that the story is supposedly coming from. Right. And I don't think anyone is trying to like make anything up. No. It's just weird that the story circulates so close. Right. I wonder if we could sometime track <laughs> down the originator of those stories and find out if it was, maybe it was the same person, or maybe people just have you know, similar yeah. similar experiences. And I've definitely told stories where you know things get embellished, mm -hmm. and I've told stories a bunch of times and things get embellished accidentally. Um, you know, sometimes I definitely do it on purpose, but... Um, and then Sometimes I'll tell stories. That's why I enjoy this project, because I was sitting around a bar one day, and we were all talking about the best stories we'd heard that we weren't there for. Like, so, um, the, uh, that was kind of the start of that idea. It'd be fun to record some of these. Yes, and really. so I happily retell a bunch of the stories I've heard. It's like, oh, someone told this thing on my podcast. And I'll tell it with all the gusto and embellishment they told me. And... It's not making it any more of a true story, that's for sure. But that's not the point of the project. Yeah. So. Um, so I think as we're as we're wrapping up here, I mean, in addition to all of the many things we talked about, Will plays the banjo and cooks and built his own sous vide cooker, so he's a bit of an inventor and a mixologist. But many of these uh, accoutrements 
are probably going into storage. This is true. Because you're leaving the country for a new and fabulous 10-month contract. Yeah, at uh, Weta Digital in New Zealand. So excited to be working down there. Um, I believe I'm going to be working on the second Rise of the Planet of the Apes movie. So a lot of uh, Andy Serkis acting like an ape and us <laughs> helping out. Do you have a an ape that you're maybe hoping to get? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Fingers crossed. Um, if we're being honest, I haven't seen the first one. Okay. I've seen the old Planet of the Apes movie, the first one of those. Right. Um, it's okay. Peter Jackson's not a listener. And yeah. The internet doesn't broadcast to New Zealand, I think. So, so oh, you won't man. know that you haven't picked a favorite. They're still on 1G. <laughs> they didn't ask uh, in the interview, and I didn't volunteer it. It'll be fine. Um, sure. They have people there who have thought about all of this stuff plenty of times. Right. And, and they know what you're going to do already. can very quickly set me straight as like, look, this is the kind of feel we're going for. This is, you know, mm -hmm. I'll probably will watch the first one before too long, just so I can get a handle on it. But Well, the flight would be a great time. I was going to say, you, you, can, yeah. you can watch it many, on the plane. Many yeah. hours of watching ocean. Yeah. And also learn the language mm. on, on the airplane. <laughs> As people do. Yes. Yeah. One, one, um, and this is not a first hand, but a second hand um, bit of advice that I'll just make sure to call it a kiwi fruit mm. and not just a kiwi. Okay. Oh, good advice for everybody. It's and, important um, there. And maybe for me, because I'm very much hoping that since my fabulous friend is going to be animating in New Zealand, that I can take a trip to New Zealand where there is a very inexpensive couch on which I could be crashing. I believe that would be acceptable. Excellent. Uh, so until next time, this is the Shaky Town Radio Hour with Will Kistler. I'm Libby Ward. I'm Bob Schreiner. And I'm Will Kistler. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. Great to have you.